You're now listening to episode 133 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Tom Castelli joined here with Johnny Merrick, a partner at Hajar Peters LLP. Johnny has over three decades of experience in complex corporate and real estate matters. He has been a transactional attorney for more than 20 years, concentrating on ongoing business operations, organizational structuring, mergers and acquisitions, as well as real estate purchases, sales, and development. In today's episode, we discuss series LLCs in the state of Texas, why you should work with an attorney for entity structuring rather than doing it yourself, how Texas real estate market has been impacted by COVID-19, lease agreements, and much more. Before we dive right into today's episode, we did want to remind everybody about our Tax Smart Real Estate Investor Facebook community. It's the one-stop shop for real estate investors to learn about tax strategies and stay up to date on all the tax law changes. With nearly 650 members and counting, there are a ton of conversations taking place right now. Join today by visiting www.facebook.com slash groups slash tax smart investors or by following the link in the show notes below or you can just search us on Facebook. I'm sure we'll pop right up. We're looking forward to seeing you in there. But for now, we're going to jump right into today's episode. John, thanks so much for taking time to come on the show today. Would you be able to give our listeners a little information on your background and your work? Sure. I, you, uh, you're talking to Johnny Merritt. I'm an attorney in Austin, Texas. Uh, I grew up on a farm and ranch in West Texas. Uh, I grew up on a horse. I never thought that I would do anything but uh, be on a ranch. And in fact, my father, who was born in 1916, told me that you should never trust a man with soft hands. And so as I became an attorney, it, uh, I always dreaded kind of shaking his hand as he stuck out his hand to me. But for the last about 35 years, I have uh, practiced law. Uh, I graduated long before you guys were born in law, from law school in the savings and loan crisis. Uh, all I ever wanted to do was real estate and corporate work. And, and But you, uh, as I've told many law school classes that I've spoken to, you do what comes in the door. And frankly, the, uh, the FSLIC, the Federal Savings and Loan Insurance Corporation, came into an office in Amarillo, Texas, and said, we would like you guys to sue officers and directors all over the nation. And so that's what I did for 10 years is, is worked in the savings and loan crisis in litigation, which sounds pretty exciting unless you're a young attorney from a uh, what some attorneys would believe is a, un, you know, a place where no good attorney would come from. And that's from a little town in West Texas. After 10 years, I couldn't just couldn't stand it anymore. So uh, about the, about the latter part of the nineties, I went uh, full time in, in, in transactional law, law. And uh, for the, as I said, for the last 25 years or so, I've, I've handled uh, uh, all kinds of real estate, all kinds of corporate work uh, have worked as essentially general counsel uh, because of my experience with officers and directors. Uh, I, I've been asked to serve as general counsel, uh, outside general counsel for uh, several entities. And so I've uh, been very blessed to, to, to do what I love to do and will continue almost 60 and, and have no interest in slowing down because I love so much what I do. That's always good to hear. You know, if, uh, you know, I think the good thing about being an attorney or being, you know, an accountant um, is you could probably work until, you know, 
until until it's over if you wanted to i mean why not right that's the way i always look at it i'll never have to actually really retire um well and, yeah. and, and my wife's a cpa so i, I i've got i gotta tell you a story because i know both both of your cpas when i was doing the snl the savings loan crisis i was actually deposing um uh, directors, and I was asking them about other directors to find if they fulfilled their fiduciary duties. This was in Dallas for this specific deposition. And I asked about, and I can't remember, asked one director about another account, a, a director. The director I was asking about was a CPA. And so I asked this director about this CPA as a director. And, and I said, tell me about, and Thomas, I'll just pick on you. I said, tell me about Thomas. And he shook his head and, and said, well, you know, he's a, he's a CPA. And I said, well, would you tell the judge and jury what you mean by that? And he says, he has no personality at all. So I, I went home and called my wife and I said, honey, I, listen, I know your problem. I, I <laughs> it's sworn testimony. You, you have no, and it, it went over just about as well with her as it did with you guys. So, uh, but, but true story. Yeah. 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 Look, I, I, I've, I've heard that before. People have told me that before, like um, people have told me before, there's no way that you're an accountant. So I, I mean, I, 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 I would take offense for that if it wasn't for those instances, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you there. Um, kind of shifting back to like the, the, the you know, the, the real estate space a little bit. Um, when it comes to entity structuring asset protection for commercial real estate, you know, like office, industrial, multifamily, retail, that type of stuff. Uh, you know, what, what do you, how do you normally see, you know, what, what are some common entity structures you see uh, uh, real estate investors use? Well, by far, the LLC is the way to go. Um, we, uh, in fact, my own real estate holdings, that's how I own my own real estate is through, except for my home, that Texas has very good homestead laws and so very broad homestead laws. But, but uh, limited liability corporation is, you know, is, is 90% of what we do. Uh, there, there used to be an advantage in Texas to do a limited partnership because of franchise taxes, but that advantage went away. So we, we use LLCs uh, quite a bit. We'll use either regular LLCs or the, the even series LLCs where you can have, you can structure different deals and different investments with, with different investors and limit liability for different series within uh, a, a series LLC. So we use that quite a bit. So uh, it's it's uh, really important. It's certainly not C Corp. <laughs> I had a client very early on who who uh, came to me and had an attorney who'd said his his father had set up a C Corp. And uh, bless his heart, he he there was tax problems. So certainly not a C Corp. But I do like the limited liability of a, a LLC. Yeah. Also, I just want to jump in there and say that uh, S corps as well. Um, I could tell you from experience working with uh, multiple clients at this point, you don't want to put rental properties in S corporation. Generally speaking, if you yes. can avoid it, it does cause a ton of uh, succession planning, estate planning issues, uh, restructuring problems. If you just want to restructure your portfolio for whatever reason. Um, generally speaking, you want to avoid that. And if you follow that piece of advice, I might have just saved you uh, several thousands of dollars in, in attorney and, and accounting fees uh, just just by just by not putting your rental properties in the S corporation. But you know, John, I, I did want to circle back to you know what you had said about the series LLCs. 
And we know in a state like Texas, series LLCs are are part of the state law and are, you know, very, you know, I guess airtight in a sense in the state. Um, but sometimes we speak to clients or speak to attorneys that are working with our clients when they're investing across the state lines or perhaps don't inv uh, invest in a state that recognize um, the series LLC that there could be issues, you know, when dealing with issues across state lines. Would you be able to speak to that for a second? Well, it, 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 yes. I mean, we've, we've got to be very careful to make sure that whatever entity we're recommending works well within the state that, that we're operating in. Uh, the, the fortunate thing for me is that the real estate is so hot in where I'm located that most of my practice is, is, is limited to, to Texas. Uh, but we've done some work in Colorado uh, uh, just recently and, and New Mexico, of course. And But you're right. I mean, let me tell you this. Be, being married to a CPA and then having practice in the real estate market for uh, 25 years, one thing that, and I'll say this several times relating to investing in real estate, stay in your lane. And so if, if, you're, if you're representing a client that, uh, that's purchasing land, for instance, in New York or in North Carolina, uh, you, you, you'll be very well advised to do two things. One is to, uh, to, to, to uh, have a partner, of, a law partner, if you will. And when I say that, I don't mean from a formal sense. I mean, contact an attorney in North Carolina or New York and also develop a great relationship with that client's CPA. And, and so stay in your lane uh, is important. Uh, that, that's good advice. And, you know, especially with the local uh, attorneys, you know, I, I found that usually when, when you're working in, in real estate, uh, since it's a very local business, you, you do want to have a, a local attorney, you know, on your team in the, in the states you're doing business. Uh, just to make sure you're not running afoul of of any of that st the specific state rules, regulations, laws, et cetera, um, as it relates to that. This is my experience, though. I think that's absolutely correct. I think that's great advice that you're giving your your clients. Can I throw something in, or throw a question here, kind of Please. following up on that? And, and I understand that most of your most of your clients are in Texas, so I don't know if you'll be able to answer this or not. But what what should people be watching out for whenever they you know, if like I go online and I Google uh, efficient entity setup or something, and that brings me to series LLCs, I mean, what do I need to be aware of as a consumer? What questions do I need to be asking the attorney? And um, just because like, like clients are all over the place, right? So somebody from California could see, oh, this series LLC thing works really well, set it up, and then only later figure out that California does not recognize series LLCs and will tax each one of those LLCs as a completely separate LLC. So how do you, how do you prevent yourself? Maybe even as a consumer, how do you prevent yourself from falling into a trap simply because you didn't know what questions to ask? Brandon, this will feel sound very self-serving in, in, and, and I don't mean it that way, uh, but series LLCs are, are really newly developed entities. And, and even for the experienced uh, real estate investor, even in an uh, experienced real estate investor with me in Texas, 
it, it's good to work with an attorney. It's, it's good to have your attorney involved, your, your CPA involved. And, and uh, because it, it's, it's very critical how they're set up and how they're operated. So I, I, I certainly series LLC would not be the type of entity that I would recommend that any client, and, and, and I don't mean this self-serving, I, I, I mean it very honestly and sincerely. It's not the type of entity that you want to use a, you know, a, a form uh, document and not have professional CPA and, and legal advice. So I, I'd say that it's, it's, a, it's a mechanism where you can avoid creating multiple, multiple uh, LLCs, which we used to do in the past. Uh, but at the same time, you, you've got to act with care because there's, as, as I'm sure you guys have seen, uh, businessmen are in a hurry. We're all in a hurry. And so the, 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 the thing that we often see is that you don't take care of the, you don't dot the I's and cross the T's. And that, it, it, what a softball answer. I'm sorry for that, but it's just the truth is you, you need to be working with a, a, a counsel and a CPA that you trust. So, so let's say that I do work with counsel that says series LLCs work in California. And, and we know that they don't because we, we interviewed um, Brian Chow a couple episodes ago and we asked him about series LLCs in California and, and he's an attorney and mm -hmm. he was like, no, they don't work in California. But but let's say that you're working with counsel that that says, oh, yeah, yeah, series LLCs will work in California. I mean, what do, what do you what do you say to, to something like that? Like like if the consumer isn't aware. I guess I don't really know where I'm going with, the, with this question. I well, guess I'm just kind of asking, like, what are your thoughts on, well, on people that, that push the cross-state stuff but don't actually specialize in that state? Well, that, that, let me tell you that, that one matter that I've handled in the last year, frankly, was a very simple real estate transaction in Texas that was handled by a Texas attorney. And it, it was a residential. I don't do much residential. I do mostly commercial. But but this this specific attorney used a contract for deed, which is permissible under Texas law. But it, the Texas legislature has created lots and lots and lots of reporting requirements. And so uh, it I, I I don't want to use the M word, the M malpractice word, really. But but it, it was a big mistake. The, the, and I'm. I'm, I'm I say that because it's you, you got to make sure your question. I have a, a, a client who's investing in California. I call a California attorney and they tell me, well, sure, you can do an uh, LLC in California. Well, I, that's that's my fault because I haven't vetted that attorney well enough. And and but it's it's a for, for clients, you know, be careful. I mean, be, be careful. Look at. Uh, look at the websites uh, of of the CPAs you're you're thinking about you're considering hiring. Look at the websites of the attorneys. Perhaps even you know call some of the the references to to see if it's just glowing remarks. It's it, you, we can't be too careful because it in that instance we were able to resolve that, but it was very expensive to do so and and was totally unnecessary. I guess that's more of where I was going with the question was. Okay, you you find an attorney that says, "Yeah, series LLCs work in California," um, but that attorney does not live in California, and and maybe they live in Ohio or North Carolina or Georgia or wherever. 
where they go, yeah, series LLCs, we're going to set it up and it's going to work in California. I guess my question is, do they just know something that other attorneys don't, or is it that potential malpractice thing? And, and maybe it's a, maybe it's a toss up per situation. Maybe that's no. a super tough question to answer, but I it, think it, you're right. It, it is. Well, here, here's what I, I did, I, Mr. Klein. I called the California attorney up. Here's what they said. And I'm calling another one or something just to check. Or I, I don't know. Listen, I appreciate you raising the question because I, I, I have no idea. I didn't know that, that California didn't recognize uh, LLCs. And so. Uh, well, don't take our word for it. We're not attorneys, right? That was going to be my point is, 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 you know, boy, I, it's, that's a, that's a scary thought because uh, you know, you, 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 but, but what's true of, of consumers is also true of me. If I've, if one of my important clients is going to invest in a, a parcel of property in California, um, um, you know, perhaps we could use, I, again, I don't know what the t California law is, but I, listen, I like Texas LLCs. I like Texas entities because the Texas legislature has caught up to Delaware, in my opinion, and has made entities just about as good here. I know how they operate. And so, um, uh, but uh, listen, I, I, I need to make, I, I need to associate with a California attorney to figure out, have, have I just screwed my client? And that's, that's really important. Great question, Brandon. Gosh, you, I'm learning more from you guys that you guys are going to learn from me, which is typical, frankly. Well, I think, I think that you're, you're right on the money and it's just a lot of the questions that, that even we get, I mean, we have to consult with a lot of different people before we can really give the client an answer. And I think sometimes clients don't understand that fact. Well, and I, <laughs> no. you know, I, I reviewed your website. Very impressive, by the Thank way, you. Even for an old guy who's, who's having to get used to websites. Uh, but one thing that you guys talk about a team approach and talk about, using uh, uh, people who can help your clients. And I love that. I mean, you've got to do that. We've, yeah. we've, in, in fact, uh, I'm a little more of a generalist than you guys are, but, but so that, that's even more important for me, but, but even as specialists in the real estate market, you guys talk about how you use, you have a team that, that helps people. And I, I love that. Well, well done. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we, we appreciate that, but it, it's, it's a lot of work. And I think that clients sometimes just don't understand like all the back end work that goes into trying to get the right answer for somebody. And I mean, I can tell you, we, we were recently going up against um, a, a large accounting firm, top 10 accounting firm, because our client was stuck in the middle of their advice and our advice and our advice ended up being correct. But, but this, this big accounting firm comes back and I'm like sitting here going, crap, man, have we been giving people bad advice this entire right. time? And it's yeah. just like that type of stuff always happens though in, in the tax world. I'm sure it's the same thing in the legal world where people, you read something, you get taught something, you, you look at it one way and then it, it takes some repetitions to figure out, oops, that actually <laughs> wasn't necessarily. And, and so then you learn, like we've learned, we're going to talk to a ton of different professionals out there to figure out what we're not seeing before and, and we go I, back and start like really pounding advice on any one thing. Like real estate professional status is something we talk about every single time, almost every single podcast. Well, um, there's a lot of people that don't understand it. And we've learned it simply by talking to a lot of different professionals and a lot of repetitions. And now we feel like we are probably, uh, the, the most well-versed in it, if not at the top of that list in the country, but it, it just, it takes a lot of time and a lot of repetitions and it takes 
relying on a lot of other professionals and, and getting a lot of different feedback and opinions. <laughs> you know, Brandon, it's, you learn from every podcast, but, 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 but that's the point. I, one thing that I hadn't thought about until I reviewed your website is how you guys are learning Jimmer podcast from talking to people. And what, what a great, you know, there's, that just hadn't, hadn't occurred to me. Well done again. Yeah. You know, but before I go into the next question, I'll just say that to, to your point, podcast is an excellent way to get like an informal education. I learned like half of the multifamily investing world just through listening to podcasts. And then when I went to apply it in practice, it actually, it was all, most of it was all right. Like, so it, it's, it's definitely possible to get like a, a good informal education these days through. Yeah. And Thomas, podcasts. that's, that's new um, to me because my, my law professor back in the eighties said, had God intended the, the law to be on computer, he'd have put it there. And we spent one day uh, studying how to do computer research. And now that's all we do. So, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get into the 21st century here. Yeah. You know, and, and speaking about, speaking about, uh, you know, speaking about getting into new things, we are in a new year. We're only, as of this recording, on the 11th day of January, 2021. Um, and, you know, we, we did, COVID's not entirely behind us, but we, you know, we did want to ask, how did the Texas real estate landscape change, you know, as a result oh, of COVID? Oh, uh, gosh, I thought this was just going to be less than an hour, but I, I, I will, I'll cancel my dinner plans. Um, and and that, that's particularly true for uh, an old school guy like me. I mean, things have been, you know, we've had recessions, we've had ups and downs, but we've never had anything like COVID. Uh, we've never had anything where uh, the condos in downtown Austin uh, are the hottest thing. And then a week later, uh, people are trying to make a mass exodus uh, to, um, to to the, to the country. Uh, we've never had retail uh, strip shopping centers uh, with real expensive uh, women's clothing or men's apparel uh, that now is dragging down the uh, shopping center as opposed to uh, the, the, the service provider, that is a nail salon, uh, or a cleaners. Um, uh, we've never had uh, warehouses uh, in, in uh, rural areas as the sexiest investment that you can make. Um, and, and then after that, I, I would say that uh, we're thinking that the condo market in downtown Austin is hurting, and, and, but it's not. <laughs> And so uh, it, 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 I could go in, l, l, tell me if you want me to go into more specifics, but it's, it's, it's turned its real estate on its head and, and quickly, and then it's changing back quickly in some respects. Uh, uh, but if you'd like me to talk more specifically about different areas of real estate, I'm happy to do that, or uh, I'll delay and you just tell me what you want. Uh, yeah. So maybe, maybe like if we looked at, like, I know that, you know, I guess, I guess here's a good way to look at, to ask it, you know, specifically, you know, for retail, um, you know, retail and office, how, how have you seen retail and office be affected by COVID, you know, in, 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 in you know, in, in the well, retail market? is retail uh, is uh, the, the, it's interesting. The, the, the food, in, the, the grocery, not restaurant, but the grocery industry, um, and, 
uh, and uh, and home goods are 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 really hot. Uh, apparel is not doing well. Dining is not doing well. And again, if you if you think about retail from a historical standpoint, that's a flip. Uh, typically, it would be the nice restaurants or the nice clothing uh, stores that are carrying that shopping that that retail shopping strip, and that's not true anymore. Um, so that those those are the uh, those are the greatest issues for from a retail standpoint. Have you seen any like major opportunities? Like, I, I guess, like the question would be, what, what are the, what, what are the opportunities that you're seeing, you know, for for investors that are being created by COVID? Like, is there a certain like asset class that, you know, people should be looking to invest in right now, or or should be considering rather? I mean, I know we're not giving investment advice. You know, but... I, 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 again, I guess I'd say stay in my lane. So uh, I, I'm I'm not a great investment advisor <laughs> and some of my own real estate investments will will will, sh- will show that but what i would say is is what i'm seeing a bunch of is uh, uh particularly in some of the smaller towns is we're seeing some of these dollar general uh some of these more general uh grocery uh or food type uh, uh uh, buildings that are available to be purchased with triple net long-term triple net leases and we're seeing a lot of those move in that regard we're seeing a lot of of businesses uh, who are focused on their capital and so they are they're thinking you know we, we would be better off in allocating our capital not so much in real estate because that's not what our core business is uh, and, and invest our 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 capital in our core business and sell our real estate and and to the extent that you can find a real property that that uh, that works for you that you can afford where you ha- can secure uh, a a long-term tenant uh, that uh, uh, will serve you well there's some real opportunities out there and in fact i'd say on on that second one uh, I've seen some really good deals. I've seen some some auction property where very significant businesses have sold some of their real estate uh, in, in the best way. They had enough real estate to sell that they did it in an auction standpoint, which was fine for them. But it, some some people were able to pick up some pretty good deals. And and if you talk to really successful real estate investment investors, what you find is now's the time. I, I say that on on the property that's down, perhaps now is the time to invest. And, and I think what's driving Austin and the world, frankly, the nation with re- residential real estate is interest rates are so, so good. And so you can afford to spend more money uh, because it, it, the real cost over that 15 years or 10 years or five years or 30 years is not that much greater. Yeah, no, I definitely seen the same thing on the, on the residential side, a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, uh, Tremendous amount of demand for real estate as a result of that interest rate. And I can just speak from friends and family and not only that, but just from like investors we work with, that's definitely, you know, dead on accurate. Um, Kind of like switching gears just a a tad to like the the side of like the legal documents um, as a result of COVID, like the lease agreements, for example, Um, you know, with the eviction moratoriums and all these different things that have been going on. we've heard different things about how people have been structuring their leases um, to better com- combat COVID and, and make sure they're not stuck holding the bag. Can, can you speak to that a little bit? And before you do, I want to throw in something else. 
There, I know when COVID was first breaking out, everybody was looking at their leases for, and I forget what the legal term is, but it's the act of God, um, the out. Yes. Talk a little bit about that. What's that? Force majeure. Force majeure. That's right. That's right. Um, So talk a little bit about that too. Will, Will leases in the future very clearly have a force majeure clause? Well, so let me address that clause first. You know, there's the, the, that was a clause that, again, for 25 years, I've included in most contracts, kind of because I thought it was lawyer-like to do so. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things that you think, well, all lawyers do this. And then all of a sudden, it, it becomes critically important. And, and uh, frankly, if you look at all the leases, uh, it, it's going to be th- that clause may be uh, subject to quite a bit of litigation because, uh, it, you know, you're either responsible under the contract or you're not. And, uh, and, and I can tell you this, every uh, contract that I review now includes the word pandemic in a force majeure clause, and they didn't always do that. So, uh, and, and so I, what I'd say to your listeners is to the extent that they have a contract and they say, golly, gee whiz, that's great. I've got a force majeure clause. Well, that's, that's great, but have an attorney look at it because I can tell you whichever side you're on, whether you're the landlord or the tenant, and frankly, I'm talking from the tenant's side, if I say, great, I have a force majeure clause, I can tell you that landlord's attorney is going to look at it very carefully. And, and uh, again, we've been on both sides of that issue, and, and the force majeure clause have, have been greatly improved this year. So uh, sadly to say, again, I'm, pu- I'm going to push your listener towards an attorney before they decide to take a position because uh, uh, we're looking at those provisions very, very carefully. Now, what other, you know, I'm sure like a couple of years ago, nobody would have thought, yeah, I'm going to put pandemic specific language into my contract. But, but what other sort of just bizarre one off things are, are people thinking about now? You know, I. I Brandon, as I sit here, I'm not going to give you a satisfactory answer (laughs) because there's been so many. So let me answer your question like this. I've written a few articles since COVID um, and attorneys, unless you're doing title work, which I hate is boring, but unless you're doing title work, reviewing a title of a piece of property, most of the time, what we're looking at, it's kind of like a physician. You, you don't know exactly. You do the best you can and you contract as best you can, but there's always an issue. And, and for the first time ever, uh, I was able to put a sentence in a legal article that I wrote uh, that I knew for a fact was true. And, and, and what I said was, and this was, you know, just a few months ago, I said, on this issue, I can say with certainty, I have the very same level of experience as every other attorney in the state of Texas. That is none. I mean, we, we, there, there were just were so many issues that, that, that came so quickly. Um, um, in the corporate, in the corporate world, for instance, we, I had a client that a $2 billion client who uh, needed to elect directors. And the bylaws said the only way they could elect directors was to call it a, a shareholders meeting. And these shareholders would have had to come from nine states and, and to elect the directors. Well, this was like April in, uh, or May. And we, 
I mean, there's no way we could do that. And so you, you have to, but you have the, the, the chairman of the board and the president of the company calling you saying, what do we do? And, and you've got to find a way to, to make it happen. So I, I, there are so many novel issues. And, and part of it is you, you've just got to have, you've got to be creative and you've got to think through things quickly. And, and, but I, I, to answer your question more directly, I think the, the force majeure has been the most, uh, the most looked at. Uh, the the other thing in the lease arena is is uh, I'd say it's more business than than legal. Uh, whether you're representing the landlord or the tenant, you need to think carefully about what's in the best interest of your business right now. Uh, landlord should should you um, should you force you know, enforce your terms is that's what's in your best interest. Because if you do that, who's going to come in and be a tenant? What's, what's in your best interest. If you're a tenant, I'd say, uh, you know, we've had lots of legislation that's helped the tenant. We've not had any legislation that's helped the landlord and that that's going to become very problematic. Uh, I served as a director for a bank uh, until very recently. And, 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 you know, we, we, we have a lot of land loans and, and, they've got to make their land payments. And so uh, it, there's, there's a lot, I'd say this, there's probably more business issues than there are legal issues, but, but you need to work carefully with your, to look at your agreements. You know, this isn't necessarily investment advice and all that, but you know, are, do you foresee, or do your clients foresee, are they concerned um, with a potential crash of any sort as a result of all these eviction moratoriums? Because I know that, you know, to your point, there's been scarce legislation to really help the landlords. But they still have to carry these loans. And yes, there's like uh, forbearance agreements and all of that um, that to extend the payments, but usually the payments are still due. Uh, but if the tenants haven't been paying all that time, you know, what are the odds of actually collecting on all of that? Like, on that accounts receivable. So do you, do you foresee or have your clients foresaw any potential crashes pending? You know, <laughs> I, I, I'll, I, I have not really seen that with my clients. I can tell you just as a real estate attorney and a, and a, you know, an American, I'm, I'm terribly concerned about that. Uh, I, you know, I own rental houses and, and, and fortunately I've not seen that issue. But but it's 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 a it's a tremendous problem because the, the, when these come due, uh, a, a a a tenant who has just uh, you know was was uh, you know I remember being a law student going check to check, uh, you, you 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 have a hard time making one monthly payment. You get five or six piled up. It's a problem. And 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 let me tell you, it's the the. the I would say a great majority of landlords have payments on the other side. So it's not that the landlords are evil. They, they've got to, they've got to have the ability to, to pay their mortgage. So there, I, I've got to think that there's going to be some type of, of uh, legislation that will provide some assistance uh, to landlords. I'll tell you that at this point, I haven't seen it. And, and I will further tell you that uh, on the banking side uh, although uh, the, uh, the regulators at first were indicating some, some pretty uh, uh, suggesting that we as directors and officers of banks that we uh, be pretty aggressive in working with our, our uh, borrowers, I'm not sure that that's going to play out like we wanted it to as, as things go on. 
So there, there's, I, I think there's got to be some type of statutory, excuse me, legislative relief that will help the landlord. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be something because I just, I, I, I can only imagine that you know, from from just what I've seen, while while some people have been unaffected and their and their investments have been fine, people have been paying, but there's definitely places that haven't, and and I'm just concerned that at some point it all gets backed up and there's some kind of you know, barring some kind of legislation, you know, there's, there's going to be some kind of uh, ramifications of that. Um, but, you know, kind of uh, switching gears again, just a little bit, um, you know, is there any like interesting development specifically in, in Texas that, that, that you're seeing? Um, and I, we might've already discussed this, but is there any specific, like, you know, developments in Texas that you think are interesting and worth noting for real estate investors? <laughs> I would say um, come to Texas and invest in real estate is what I'd say. It, it, it's, it, it is, um, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, and, 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 I'd, and, and specifically for Austin, um, you know, I, there's going to be a bubble, but that may bubble maybe 20 years out. I don't know. It, it, it is, it's hot as it can be. And, and I had a, a, a new client from that, that builds, uh, well, he's involved in both residential and commercial and he, he relocated here from San Diego. And what he said was Austin is San Diego 20 years ago. And one of his partners is an expert in apartment buildings. And, and there was an article in the American state statesman one time that talked about the glut of apartments and, and what this specific client said is that may be true today, but it's not going to be true six months from today or a year from today. And so um, it, the, the market is, is as hot, except for office leasing, which is a problem uh, for some retail, uh, but, but uh, uh, homes and, and some commercial property. And, and it, it's just, I've never seen anything like it. And so, but you asked for some advice. I, 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 let me give you a couple things that I think are important. Stay in your lane. You know, if, if you've done apartments, do apartments. I, it's, I think that sometimes when my clients have got in trouble is when they've not stayed in their lane. Uh, if you're going to get out of your lane, study it carefully. Secondly, I'd say know your banker. If you don't have a great relationship with a banker, go make one. That's one person that you ought to, uh, you ought to have lunch with every couple of times, even during COVID, uh, you know, every couple of months, you need to have, be in touch with your banker. So those are specific issues that are more business issues and practical than legal. No, agreed. No, that, that, that's fantastic advice. And, you know, we've seen this all the time in the investment space, at least I have on the investment side, uh, people get uh, shiny object syndrome and try to stretch themselves too thin you know, exploring too many opportunities at once. And I've, I've seen investors burn out from that. And I'm just glad that I wasn't one of their investors, but it's okay. Um, you know, I, you know, we, we talked a lot about legal stuff. We talked about a lot of investment stuff and this is the real estate CPA podcast and everybody who's listening already knows what's coming. Um, we do have to touch on the tax side just a little bit, you know, and, you know, you know, with, with all your experience working with clients, have you ever, you know, what, what tax strategies do you see them using, you know, if any, um, and, and if so, what, what, what are they? And, and I'm going to punt this. I'm going to say that, that I, I say, who's your CPA 
And, and, um, and, and for, fortunately or unfortunately, I've been at this long enough to know that I know a bunch, but I hope the, the, the CPA is not making legal decisions. <laughs> and, and so uh, I, 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 I could say some things, but I think, I think I'd be leading your listeners in the wrong direction if I did. I, I think it's, it's very important for, to have a team. And, and the team for my clients are hopefully, well, number one, they're them, they, they're successful, and, and they did that without me most of the time. And then number two, the two people that are, I think, are primarily important, probably don't let my wife hear me say this, but they're CPA, because they're, that is a daily issue. And then after that is, is their attorney. And so uh, I, I try very diligently to stay in my lane. And, and it doesn't mean I won't question the CPA if I've seen the issue before. And, and there have been times I've disagreed with a CPA and, and have suggested that the client get a second opinion. Uh, but most of the time, I will defer to the CPA on tax issues. And so I, I'm not going to do anything differently here on this podcast. Johnny, your, uh, your, your non-answer is very on brand with the stay in your lane. So I like it. Well, we'll let you slide on that one. <laughs> we'll let you slide on that one. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I, and I got to say, you know, for all the, all the times, you know, hey, John, you had mentioned earlier on the podcast, like not to sound self-serving, uh, I, that, that's legitimately good advice. Look, when you're doing entity structuring, and I've seen this before working with clients, you do want to work with an attorney. Yes, there's legal zoom. Yes, there's file INC and there's all these little tools and there's certainly options available to you. But uh, I, I've seen it's better to do things right when it comes to this area the first time um, rather than it is to go it yourself and either you know screw something up and get sued down the line or just cause a big mess that needs to be untied later like a really bad tied shoe that you have to untangle the knot. Uh, it's never, never really a, a good experience. Uh, so, you know, build your team, like, like, like John had said, make sure you have the right people on your team um, to do the right jobs. And then there you have it. Yeah, Johnny, I, mean, I, I will say this. I think that one thing that attorneys have done wrong through the years is in most businesses, the, the businessmen or women have been very successful before we came on. And, and their, their formula that they use for that success is maybe this long. Legal is this long. And so we need to make sure that the dog's not wagging or the, the tail's not wagging the dog. But yeah, you're. Uh, and I, for our audio listeners, uh, the long that Johnny was just referring to was large. And then the legal piece was a small piece of that. So, yes, thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. And, and, and I've got another question for you, kind of along those lines. And kind of also going back to my original, like, how do you know if, if you've got an attorney that knows what they're talking about? What's like maybe one or two questions that somebody can ask an attorney as they're going through the interviewing stage to try to figure out who should I work with? What are a couple questions that people should, should potentially ask a real estate attorney to figure out if the attorney has the appropriate amount of experience? Um, and, and I'll give you some background. You know, I, I use people ask me this all the time. What should I ask a CPA when I'm interviewing them to make sure that they have proper experience? I'm like, I, I have no idea because if you right. ask them, if you have real estate investor clients, I'm going to say, sure. <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. So, so what do you, what do you, uh, what do you suggest that people ask to try to dive into the experience piece a little bit? Well, I'll, let me answer it this way. When, when I put my 
it was putting my what I call a resume, or you know what what discusses what who I am. I like to put examples of what I've done. You know, it's it's really easy for me to say I'm an experienced attorney. It's really easy for me to 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 send softball transactions like that. But but the the more difficult question is: Have you worked on a the purchase of a, a, a quarter section of property in downtown Austin? Yes or no. Uh, have you, uh, uh, worked on the purchase of an apartment complex? Yes or no? Because it, have you worked on the sale of a, a confined feeding operation? Yes or no? And, and, and if you probably will, for instance, I know, I think it was Thomas that you own some apartment complexes. And so it's, it's so important to, to, to have the, those, uh, those agreements where you see that the leases are good and the, the waiver of, uh, I've forgotten what it's called. I'm thinking waiver of subrogation, but that's something I'm working on today, but it's, it's those waiver uh, provisions where the tenant says, you know, the, the lease is good. So I, I'd say Brandon, that, 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 to the extent that you can ask them a little bit about the type of transaction that you're you're working on, um, and and the other thing I wouldn't be afraid to do is is uh, is is call a couple of attorneys in in that uh, that community, and talk to both of them, and perhaps to ask them about the other attorney, and and uh, uh, I've I've done both of those things. Hmm. Over time, I've thought more and more about this, this sort of dilemma of how do you, how do you get good answers or trustworthy answers um, when you're interviewing any sort of service professional, whether it's an attorney or CPA or whoever, how do you get past the implicit, uh, I'll say, bias that the service provider might have to feed you something just to win your business? And I think a lot about interviews. Uh, like, like, like employee employer interviews. Mm -hmm. And, and if you think about how interviews have changed over time, they, they've gone away. I mean, there's some experience, but it's a lot, it's very behavioral, right? Tell me right. about a time when, um, and I think that that's a really good way to interview service providers too. Tell me about a time when you worked with somebody like me, right? What, what are some things that I should be aware of? And right. you're not necessarily looking for free advice. And if you ask me that, I'm definitely not going to give you free advice, but I might tell you, well, at your stage with one single family rental, and based on our 200 other clients that have also passed this stage, um, your primary concern is making sure that your asset protection is set up and in place, and then starting to plan for how you can potentially become a real estate professional a couple years down the line. And until we become a real estate professional, we want to try to get the passive losses from your acquisitions to offset passive income. So the question is, how do we create passive income? Now, if you ask me that, I might tell you something like that. And then you go ask another CPA who may, who might not have that experience and they'll go, well, you know, we'll talk about some tax deductions and, and uh, we'll do your tax returns. And that's pretty much it. Right. Now, and now to your point, John, if you're interviewing multiple people and you're kind of asking them those behavioral questions, tell me about a time when you did this. Tell me about a time when you work with somebody like me. I think you can start getting a lot more out of people. And again, you're not, you're not looking for free advice and, and you need to make it clear you're not looking for free advice, but you're looking for somebody to tell you, I have so much experience here that I can rattle off the, the roadmap, the high level roadmap for you right here in 10 seconds because I have so much experience. Now, you, your situation might not exactly align there, but that's what we're going to be watching out for. And the same thing can be said, you know, we work, we work with a lot of syndicates, a lot of these guys that are going out and they're buying the big apartment complexes and they're putting the deals together. 
So they'll come to us and be like, okay, yeah, like what, what do I need a CPA for? I'm like, well, you know, the, the attorney is going to put your operating agreement together, but before you sign it, I need to review it because I have to review the tax attributes, the profit loss allocations, distribution allocations, what happens when the entity liquidates? What if we do a zero liquidation? What if we liquidate at book value? And then they're going, okay, well, I've heard enough. Sounds like I do need to uh, use a CPA to as part of this process. So I think you just need to need, need to ask at least, at least oh, I, I used to say like, oh, ask them how many real estate clients they have and if they invest in real estate too. But then I realized like not to say that anybody would lie, but they could lie. So ask them to tell a story instead. And I think it's right. a lot harder to do. <laughs> oh, I agree. And and frankly, if, if that attorney or that CPA is unwilling to answer your question, just say no, <laughs> because the, the, frankly, the, 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 you know, it's, it's, I, it's an honor as a service provider when someone considers hiring us. And so we need to recognize that and, and, uh, and make sure it's a good fit for them. Uh, because if it's not, it's certainly not going to be a good fit for us. hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. It's definitely a two way street, whatever you're working in any type of uh, professional relationship or probably any relationship really where there's, there's two, two or more parties. Um, right. So yeah, I know we're coming up here to the end. We're almost that time here and just want to see, you know, if our listeners, you know, listen to the podcast, they want to learn more about you. They maybe want to work with you. Maybe they're Texas investors. Uh, we have a ton of investors who do um, invest in Texas and it is a very hot market right now. Um, you know, what would be the best way for them to, 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 to do that? Well, Johnny, J-O-H-N-N-Y, Merritt, M-E-R-R-I-T-T. -T, and and I'll, I'll say that again, because typically when I'm trying to write down a phone number, I never find the pencil till after they've said it and I'm too late. But Johnny Merritt, J-O-H-N-N-Y, Merritt, M-E-R-R-I-T-T.com. Um, and, and that will bring uh, them to a, a, a website that, that introduces me and, and says what I do and uh, would love to, to visit with uh, your investors. Uh, I'm frankly, I'm honored that you guys have, uh, spent this time with me and, and I learned a bunch from preparing for this, uh, this, uh, time with you and, 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 and listening to what you guys had to say. Absolutely. I'm glad we, glad we, uh, glad we could provide value. It always feels good when, when someone says that. Um, so we're gonna go ahead and drop that into the show notes for everybody who is listening. And, you know, John, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, it was an excellent episode. Really looking forward to putting it out there. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients. And with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.